turn, if you were, to Hebrews. Today we're going to see faith in the life of Moses. And I'll read it, and then we'll begin. Moses, the choices of faith. Let's begin at verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. What is he doing in Hebrews 11? He's going through a litany of Old Testament characters and telling us how people who live by faith, how they behave. Listen to this verse in chapter 10, verse 38. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. To shrink back is to be destroyed. But we are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. There are people of faith and people of unbelief. People who believe God and make their choices on that and people that God is not in their mind on anything they choose. You can't get through life without choices. You can't get through life without choices. And I'm just amazed at what you can choose to do by the time you're 21. When I grew up, most of the people I knew were married by 21. Today, they hold off a long time. They just move in together. Why get married? Okay, well, I grew up when, well, you ought to get married. If you get the girl pregnant, you ought to marry her. That doesn't go today. So I grew up that probably three of life's greatest decisions were made before you were 21. Most people chose before they were 21. At one time, they chose whether they were going to take Jesus Christ as their Savior or not. Most people are saved as children, very young. Carolyn used to always say, the majority of our budget ought to go to the children's ministry. That's when she was over children's ministry. Because <laughs> she said, that's where the most are saved. You pour all this money on adults, and fewer adults come to Christ than kids. It's just the statistics are that way. Uh, but besides that, uh, let's say, choose God, not. Two, choose to be married or not. And most people, uh, and I'm talking about when I grew up, uh, usually made the decision to marry 
by the time they were 21. And a lot of times, not very good at choosing. They didn't know how to choose. Uh, and didn't last long. Third thing is they choose their vocation for life. And let me ask you, how many 19-year-olds know what they ought to do for life? I grew up, you graduate from high school on Friday, and you get a job on Monday. Anybody know about that? Yeah, different day. You don't just lay around, and I'm trying to find myself. Well, until you find yourself, get a job. I'm trying to know what my meaning and purpose. Until you do that, take out the garbage, mow the lawn, and get your booty in gear. Anybody grow up that way? Oh, man, I'm talking to the senior service right here. <laughs> Young people say, get off my case. Uh, we didn't hang out at Starbucks. We just didn't. And we didn't know what lattes were. Uh, it was just make it. But I want to give a quote from Robert Frost, famous, famous poem. And I'm going to just take the last stanza. That is the famous part of it. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. And so here's this picture in Frost, the road not taken. He sees himself at a point in his life, and he, as the poet puts it in the woods, and he describes in the poem, he saw two different paths. They seem to be equally worn, and, and he has to make a choice, and he happened to look over at this one that didn't look worn. It, it looked uh, untraveled, and, and he wrestles, I'm going to take that one. And we see in the life of Moses, first of all, the choices his parents made concerning this beautiful baby God gave them. Something in the narrative says that from the beginning, the parents felt there was something beautiful, something destined about this baby. When you read the sermon of Stephen on Moses in Acts 7, he says that God saw him as something special. And the parents Think of this, what would you do when the king of Egypt has declared Hebrew genocide, kill off every male child that is born, eliminate them? If you keep them, you risk being killed by the Pharaoh because the Jewish population is growing too quick. We can't handle it. We feel threatened by them. Kill the boys, kill the boys. So, mom and dad have this baby boy. Now, they'd already had Aaron. They'd had Miriam. And here comes Moses. And they had to make a choice. And guess what they did? For three months, they hid this baby. And there is a tradition that says that the Egyptians went from house to house to Jewish homes, and they would pinch their own baby. They would take an infant pinch that baby and make the baby cry because they say a crying baby makes other babies cry. They did whatever they could to ferret out 
Hebrew children being hid. And in the midst of this, after three months, I mean, imagine this. Let's take a basket. Let's put tar and pitch on it inside and out. And let's go down to the Nile River. I've seen the Nile River. It is wide. Crocodiles are still there. The cobra's there. I mean, imagine you as a mother that already knows I've got a beautiful child, God, just put in my arms, and me go out here and say, with well, a dad, in the narrative, it doesn't mention, but dad was involved in the Septuagint. It includes the father. That they go down there and just imagine, we've already risked our lives for three months. Now, Moses, we commit you to the Nile and to God. They made a choice. They made a choice to trust God with their baby. They made a choice to go against the law of the land to obey God. It's a good question to ask ourselves. When is it right to disobey government? Is it ever right to disobey government? You remember what Peter said when they were threatened with being in prison in Acts 5? It's better to please God than man. We will please God. I, I don't know, are you under the higher legislation of heaven? You've got to abort this child. No, I don't. You've got to do what we say because we make infallible rules in D.C. And whatever the Pharaoh says, do it. No, you need to get enough gumption. Are you more a Christian than an American? Now, they're not synonymous. Uh, well, that's hard on you flag lovers. Don't tell me about World War II. I was born during it. had plenty of family in it. Her father was at Iwo Jima. But America isn't equal to Christian. No, it is not. We've just been privileged to have so many religious liberties all these years. But do you bow to whose authority if everything is jeopardized. I think of this. I, I don't, I'm not raising children anymore. I'm, I'm working on grandchildren. But don't throw your kids away to the pagan school district. Show up at PTA. Show up and speak up. And don't be passive parents in a wicked culture. Fight by the faith in God. Fight for your children. Do you have any time for them? Or does iPads and TV and Disney World, who gives a wonderful godly worldview, tape sarcasm intended? They, by faith, chose to trust this baby, beautiful boy, to the waters of the Nile and saying, we have risked ourselves for three months. It seems it will be impossible to protect this baby any longer. I, I can't imagine the words between uh, husband and wife at that river. By faith, they committed him to the river and to God. Then we pick up the life of Moses himself. And 
What kind of choices does he make by faith? Let me uh, say this. If you do anything that's not of faith, it is sin. Romans 14, 23. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And the idea is anything you choose in life, if God is not in the mix, if God is not the determining influence, his word, what he says, do you consider his word in all your choices? That's the idea. Are you exercising? I will do it God's way. If you don't, you've automatically sinned. Hebrews 11:6 6 says, without faith, you cannot please God. If you will not believe him, if you will not trust his word, uh, he said, you can never win God's favor. You can give a million dollars in the offering today, and we would cash it. But you wouldn't please God. And you couldn't go to heaven based on your gift. God is calling every one of us, trust me above all others. And so we see in the life of Moses, three periods of his life, 40 years in Egypt, 40 years with a bunch of bleeding sheep, and 40 years with a bunch of complaining Jews. Which one would you choose? Three periods of his life, the treasures of Egypt, the loneliness of the Midian desert, and 40 years leading people that were not very grateful for his leadership. But he was there. Listen to what he did. Faith, first of all, chooses what to refuse. Proverbs says that if you love the truth, you will hate evil. See, some people, you get the feeling, I love the truth, but I'm neutral about evil. To love one is to hate the other. Jesus said, if you don't prefer me above all others, if you don't hate mother, father, brother, and sister, and it's a comparative, if all other loves are not compared to nearly hate, I must be, be the supreme affection of your life and your choices. All other loves would seem like hate, for he is the ultimate word in my life. And what does it say that Moses did when he came of age? He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It's the first thing he did. He, uh, he chose to give up the privileges of Egypt. Josephus, a uh, Jewish tradition, says he was educated in the courts of Pharaoh by the daughter. It's believed that this daughter... Uh, was the only child of the Pharaoh at this time. So Moses stood in line to be a princess, to be an heir. But at about the age of 40, he made a choice. And his choice was what he refused. I refuse the privilege, the power, and the position that Egypt affords me. Then in verse 25, it says that he refused the pleasures, the fleeting pleasures of sin. I sure wish we could make sin look terrible and not so good, but I'm telling you, it looks so good. Why in the world does sin attract so many people? 
Why did it attract you? It's in our nature. It's in our human nature. Until we come to Christ, we have a human nature that has an appetite for what sin puts on the menu. Whatever that is, lust, money, power, fun. And, and yet you're amazed at what a little sin, a little sin can go a long ways. Let's talk about 21 years of age again. Move it up if you want. Let's, let's make it what you did by the time you were 30. One night, one night of fun could have left you pregnant. One night got you hooked on a drug that you've been trying to fight ever since. One night you lost a buddy on a uh, chicken daredevil trip. One night my girlfriend was killed while I dro drove the car drunk. One night I did it. And all the time, we were having fun. We were having a great time. Just one night, one time. I had a friend tell me when he got hooked on heroin, he said, I had one hit and became addicted from then on. He said, it was the greatest thing I'd ever experienced, and I had an appetite that I couldn't control. Sin, it looked so good. And even the people of God in Scripture would envy the wicked who were having a good time. They would see them doing so well. If you read the 21st chapter of Job, he's describing, man, they're doing good. There seems to be no pain in their death. Their children inherit well. Uh, all is well. Everything is great. It is just wonderful. And the psalmist said in Psalm 73, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, I nearly gave up faith in God. They're doing great. That, look what they've got without God. Look at Howard Hughes, if you ever read his life. All the wealth, wealth, wealth. And yet the last 10 years of his life, one of the loneliest men, one of the men so... Uh, gripped by phobias that he would uh, rent suites and he would put up tents and didn't want to catch any germs. And uh, he was one of the loneliest men that ever lived. And yet he was over millions of dollars. But it looked so good. And you read these stars. And if you read People magazine to keep your spiritual life up, and things like, you know, when, when you see all these celebrities and you get behind the scene, they're divorcing this, they're breaking up here, they're this, they're, it's it just all, but it looks so good going in. Someone said the devil always keeps his apples polished. Yeah, but you don't know there's poison in it. I just want a bite, just a bite. I just want to taste it. Uh, don't you want to do this, son? Don't do this. Dad, I want to do it for myself. Oh, no, you don't. You can only commit suicide once. You don't come back. And here Moses had the ability to look at sin in some way. He said, it's passing. It's passing. Let me tell you, I've been in Egypt. I hadn't seen anything in there worth staying about. 
I've been to the pyramids. I think, this is the best you got? And desert fleas, heat, cold at night. And they go to the museum there in Cairo and see all these mummies and all these people that had the best Egypt could afford. And Moses says, I give up Egypt's best. I will not be her emperor. I will not be her prime minister. And I refuse the passing pleasures of sin. And then he said he gave up the treasure chest of Egypt. He gave them up. He made a choice about what he refused. But now, let me tell you the things he chose. I have, uh, let's see, I got five of them. First, he chose to suffer with the people of God. Verse 25. I'd rather suffer with the people of God than to be the prime minister of Egypt. Faith enables you to do that. Because on an earthly level, we want the tangible, we want the good life, uh, we want advantage, education, materialism. I mean, that's just human. That's just human. But he's describing what faith choices look like. If you ever read the life of William Borden, inherited a huge inheritance. But in his early 20s, William Borden was converted. And guess what he got a burden for? He got a burden for the people of Egypt. He got rid of most of his fortune. And he goes down to Egypt and dies within three months from malaria. What a fool, what a fool, what a fool. Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, Three other men, 1950s, cover of Time magazine. Then it was Life magazine. Said, we think there's a bunch of savages down in Ecuador that are going to hell, and we've gone to Moody Bible College, and one of them became an aviator. We think we will risk our life to go reach these people because we think a man's eternal destiny is worth expending ourselves for. Go down there, and they flew their mission daily. They finally found a place in the river. They dropped gifts. They tried to build, they thought they'd build some relationship with the headhunters in that area by dropping them utensils and things they could use. And finally, they land on the river, and they go out, and one of the men, they panicked, and they shot their arrows in them, and five bodies wind up in the river. And one of them wrote before he ever went there, when he was in Wheaton as a student, Jim Elliott wrote, it, it won't be a fool who gives up what he can't keep, his life, because what's a life? You're going to die anyway. The issue is, what will you die doing? You died rich, but in hell, like the rich man in Luke 16. Or you could die poor, but know God, and be a man that said, I'm comforted in the bosom of Abraham. Amen. And he said, he's no fool to give up what he cannot keep, 
money, body, life, to gain what he cannot lose. The thing killing America today is our young people don't have anything worth dying for. And some of you don't either. You're just eating food, keeping rent, and trying to have the good life. And if it got any better, you're going to die from just pure laziness. What do you get up for in the morning? Do you want to do any good for anybody? Just been reading the uh, uh, life of Brian Stevenson a young African-American in his new book that's on the New York Seller's top seller list, uh, Just Mercy, telling about he was a sharp young black student, somebody, he was going to one school, and somebody said, you need to be a lawyer. And he went to Harvard. And as he's going through law school, he said he, he became bored with law because there seemed to be no burn in anybody in the program. It was all about how much money we're going to make doing law. It's how we're going to be this in law. And nobody was doing law for a reason. So he joined the Southern Defense League in Alabama to go defend poor blacks and poor whites that couldn't afford a lawyer. Never even got a salary. A nonprofit took him on. Black people were being sentenced, even in the year 2000, to death penalties with all-white juries because a black man couldn't be on a jury in Alabama. He said, I'll spend my life trying to bring justice and mercy to those that can't afford legal protection. I think he found something worth doing law for, save a man's life. He goes down there and he defends teenagers who were sentenced to death penalty at age 13. Some mentally retarded, but still it's easier to fry them than it is to defend them. The saying on death row was, he who has the capital, he who doesn't have the capital gets the punishment. As I've been reading the book, it saddens me but he's a hero in my world. Oh, Brian, you found more than money, more than money to get you up in the morning and take money out of most Americans' lives. And even in the church, you don't know what to do with yourself. What about he bought you not with money, but with his own blood to turn you into a servant? Edwin's got about three people that go with him on evangelism on a Tuesday night. Do we believe anybody's going to hell? Can we get anybody to do the Great Commission? Or we sit around and gripe with each other? You know what God does to churches? He lets us consume one another. When you don't obey the head and do his will, you'll consume one another in the church. And that's why churches become ghastly, disoriented, and God lets us consume one another. You'll obey him or destroy one another. You can't keep people together without a mission. What has God saved you for? By faith, you say, I'm living for more than money. And Moses said, I'm not living for the treasures of Egypt. I'm not living to be called the son of Pharaoh. I've become identified with the cause of God and the suffering of God's people. I choose to suffer with God's people. Would you suffer with us? You're not suffering in this church. Oh, no, you're not. You just got a suffering complex. You've not shed any blood. You just got your feelings hurt over something.
petty, stupid, and carnal. Oh, who will stand up to reach this desperate generation in this desperate time? What a dangerous country we live in now. When you can't be in San Bernardino, a real safe place, without, I think it was over 38 children lost their parents uh, last week. 38 children no longer have a dad or a mom. And one day, we're not safe. We all may be dead before tomorrow. What will you be known for living for in the meantime? He chose in verse 26 the reproaches of Christ, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. And there, Christ, here, this is 1,500 years before Christ comes to the earth. The word Christ is used of God's anointed. It becomes the key term for the Messiah. But in his day, he understood God had a people that he'd begun with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here the writer is writing to people that are suffering for the name of Christ. And he takes it all the way back. Moses chose to suffer with God's anointed people, a people that will eventually give us an anointed one called the Messiah. We used to sing an old song, I'll be a friend to Jesus, my life for him I'll spend. I'll be a friend to Jesus until my years shall end. I'll be a friend to Jesus. We used to sing a song, I'll take the way with God's chosen few. And then they would change it, God's despised few. Would you meet, would you meet today in church if we met in the catacombs of Rome, would you be in attendance? I'd say half of you wouldn't, but I'm judgmental. Maybe not that many. How many would say we can't meet above ground because Nero will kill us, but we'll go to the cemeteries that are underneath the streets of, of Rome, and they run for miles. There's bones and there's decaying bodies, but it's the only safe place to meet. I'll see you there Sunday. You don't know anything about it, nor do I. That's why the church is soft in America. Entertain me, entertain me, entertain me. I won't come unless you entertain me. Oh, poor, poor us. When will we say, I choose to be identified with the cross, with the Christ, with the sufferings identified with Christianity. He's worth dying for and living for. He goes on. It says in verse 26, he chose the reward of faith. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And you remember what he said in 11.6? He is a rewarder of those who please him and seek him. You never serve God without being recompensed. If not in this life, he'll make it up to you for eternity. How's that? Amen. <laughs> he'll make it up. There'll be no pain in eternity. There'll be no fires. There'll be no suffering. And you won't get bored. He's going to work it out where you won't get bored for eternity with what he's got planned for you. 
If you're willing, willing just to be identified, I will reward you. Now, not with maybe a brand new Cadillac and not a brand new house in this life. Some get it. Praise the Lord. Enjoy it. it. You may have to wait till you get with him, but one glimpse of his dear face will all sorrows erase. One glimpse. One glimpse. We've lost sight of heaven and how wonderful it's going to be. Do you ever think about heaven? We used to sing songs on heaven. We used to have a sister always saying, I want to stroll all over heaven with you some glad day. You remember, talked about her loved ones. I'll be reunited. And they would just talk like they knew the street address of heaven. They knew where everybody, faith had made it real. And here Moses, Moses, don't you see what you're giving up? He says, I'm giving it up because I've been let in the secret of what I want to get. I've got a reward coming. God is going to reward me. And all those who live by faith, the reward will be far greater than anything we ever give up. Amen. He goes on to say that uh, he chose to fear God and not the king. And it's interesting that the first time Moses fled Egypt because he'd killed an Egyptian, trying to rescue a fellow Jew, Hebrew. He fled that time in fear, but there's two times he leaves Egypt. The first time he'd murdered a man and he's getting out of town. The second time he leads a march, a freedom march, with maybe two, two and a half million people. That time when he leaves town, he's not afraid of the king. No, no, no. He, he's following the cloud and the fire. He's following this other one. Back here, he was impulsive. Back here, he thought maybe a good stranglehold on an Egyptian is what the Jews needed. What they needed is a man that would follow the cloud. They need a man that would follow the fire, a man that would lead by faith. And when they go on the exodus, he's not afraid. He's not afraid of the king. He's not afraid of his chariots that are going to chase him. He's not afraid of his threats. No, He's been delivered because he fears the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of his parents who rescued him as a boy. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of their anger. He chose to trust in God's protection. I love it in verse 28. By faith, he kept the Passover. You know, on the night that the death angel was going to sweep through Egypt and even Goshen and any house that did not have the blood of a lamb applied to the doorpost, the Lord said, I will take the firstborn in that house. Moses could have flippantly said, hey, I'm the chosen leader. I'm above this stuff. No, 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 no. You know, he had a firstborn son in that house. He's out there in Midian. He had a son named Gershom. Had his other son with him down there in Egypt. One of his boys would have been killed that night. God wasn't going to protect his sons because his name was Moses. He was going to protect his sons because of the blood of a lamb. And you and I, you can't ever go to heaven without coming under the protective care of the blood of Jesus Christ. It just hit me when I was 
writing these notes, the only way you could ever be protected from God is by God. Amen. The only way you could be protected. You see, you don't want to mess with God until you know him. Are you afraid of him? Good. Good. For when you lose the fear of him, you're nigh to death and nigh to destruction. If you're afraid of him, good. The Romans world of Romans 1, they lost all fear of God. There's nobody going to hold us accountable for anything we do. But to fear God and to know he's, and some of us, because we were forced to live around Christians all of our life, I didn't choose it. I was stuck with it. I could never sin without God in the picture. It's terrible to grow up in a home with Christian parents when you want to sin. You've got to lie like the devil and sneak all the time. Huh? Because I don't, I mean, I, I think of my poor girls. Good night. They couldn't tell me anything. What? What are you doing, girl? What? Wait, I didn't ask to be a pastor's daughter. Blame that on God, not me. They always wanted to go to dances. No, you can't go to dances. No, everybody's going to dance. I want to go to dances. No, you can't go to, can't we? The kids in the youth group go. Well, they're all backsliders. And the folks are too. Because I grew up in Richmond. A lot more went on at dances than dancing. Do you know what I'm talking about? I let them go once. And they came back. You knew what you were talking about, didn't you, Daddy? Yes. <laughs> Sit down. I'm trying to protect you. I don't want some half-lit guy fondling you and hurting you. You hear? You want to dance? Dance here in the front room. Your mom likes to dance too. Kick it off. <laughs> I throw on a good number you can kick it up on. Come on over sometime. We'll play some Cajun music for you. He trusted, he trusted God's protection. He chose to fear God and not the king. He chose the reward of faith, not the treasures of Egypt. He chose the reproaches of the anointed, the Messiah. He chose to suffer with the people of God. I have to say this. The greatest thing that Egypt could ever give a man was a pyramid or an embalmed funeral. They were famous. I've watched uh, programs on how they embalmed in Egypt, amazing, how they would take the human brain out through the ears and the eyes, they'd empty the skull, and they had a certain, I forget the name, a certain mineral that was in that area. Uh, it looked like talcum powder. It was a white uh, substance, and they would take, drain the body, take out internal organs, brains included. Some, they, they took out the brains, and uh, put this, is basically a, someplace around there, a mineral that they would use. It, it took months to do it, but to be embalmed. You remember Joseph was embalmed 
because he told them, when you leave Egypt, take me with you. And so he was a mummy, and they took him. And if you could build a um, pyramid, and I think King Tut's, uh, you know, that museum was on, on the road here in the United States. I went and visited in Cairo and saw some of the goods that Tut, a, a young boy king of Egypt, was buried with his monkey embalmed, gold, precious uh, metals. And, of course, the grave robbers knew that. And they would break in. But Pharaoh Hatshepsut is believed to be the Pharaoh that was the father of the mother, the Egyptian woman who adopted Moses. Moses leaves all the treasures of Egypt. That Pharaoh was buried in a pyramid, embalmed, gold, chariots, wife, animals, all were outfitted for the journey the Egyptians taught to the next land. Whatever happened to Moses? He chose to believe in the invisible God. Look what you gave up. Let me give you a fast-forward picture from 1445 B.C., the date of the Exodus. 1,500 years forward, the Lord Jesus tells Peter, James, and John, I want you to visit with me up on a mountain, and I'm going to show you what a glorified body will look like and what you're going to get eventually. And they go up there, and who happens to show up but Moses? And, and he's not mummified, he's glorified. Who, who, who buried you out there in that desert? God did. He was my undertaker. Matter of fact, the devil wanted his body to get the nation to become idolaters and worship the man, and God had to commission Michael to rebuke him. You can't have the body of Moses. Jude 9. But you know what? 1,500 years later, Peter, James, and John, they were so enamored with seeing Moses and Elijah with Christ. They said, we got to build three tabernacles and put up a monument right here. And God said, no, 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 no. I'm impressed with my son. I'm just showing you what I gave the people of faith. This is their future, and this is what you boys are going to They may decapitate you. They may burn you. James, we know they're going to beat you to death in the city of Jerusalem and stone you. Peter, we know they're going to crucify you upside down. And John, they're going to try to boil you in a pot of oil at, over at Patmos. But this is what's coming. This is how you're going to look in the future forever. Amen. Now, I want to tell you. This world can't do that. They can mummify, but they can't glorify. Amen. They can't give you this promised home. And everything you've said goodbye to in this world, guess what? He said, I'll make it up to you. I'll make it up. I ask you, do you think God can match the world in rewards? No, no, no. He excels. He excels. 
He accepted. Man, I can't read Randy Alcorn's book on heaven just to get a glimpse of what all you're going to get in heaven. And some of you already, you're bored down here, and you got more luxury and more money and more pastime. You don't know what to, God has even made you happy in heaven. And that would be a miracle. That would be a miracle. Because you can have all this stuff down here. Do you know what Solomon said? I got it all. I got a thousand women. That ought to satisfy a man. A thousand. Now, this wasn't porno. This, I'm feeding this many chicks. A thousand. I've got so much gold and money that he said silver was as common as rocks in Jerusalem. Wine, pleasure, inventions, and I found out it's all vanity. It's all chasing the wind. After all my experiences, let me tell you, young man, serve your creator while you're young. And before the days come that you say, I have no pleasure in them, I have found only God can empty and fill an empty heart. Try everything this world has like I have, and you'll say, it's empty, empty, empty. The life of faith chooses God over everything this world has to offer. Our Father, all oh, that we could live based upon another world based upon the invisibility of a God, that just because we can't see you doesn't mean you're not there. It breaks my heart, Father, to know that when you made yourself visible in the sun, we killed him and threw him outside the vineyard and said, we don't want you. And that was the visible appearance of God, God in flesh. And when we got to touch God, look on God, hear God, feel God physically, our only response was to kill you. But some believed. And in this world where Jesus Christ would be crucified afresh, it put in the hands of men again. He's going to come a second time and triumph and power, and nobody can defeat him. And you have promised us, Lord Jesus, someday we will reign with you because we're heirs and joint heirs, and we will reign with you as you rule this whole universe and subdue all those that oppose you. Help us to make choices by faith and not live by sight, live by sense, just the dollar, uh, the physical advantages of this world. I wonder, Father, would we suffer for you if you called us to do it? We've gotten so used to pleasure, it's a hard question to answer. But help us to be faithful in tur turbulent times, in perilous times. Help us to live pleasing to the invisible God and walk by faith. 
There's some of you here, you need to make a choice. You may have never chose to believe in Jesus Christ. You may be asking yourself, well, I don't know if I'm chosen. You never will until you choose. You won't. You, right now, what have you done with Christ? Have you said, Lord Jesus, I want you. I don't want to crucify you. I believe you died once. I believe you were buried and rose again. I believe you're coming again. I believe you have the true God in flesh. I want you. I choose to believe Christ. I choose to receive him. Have you ever done that? Until you do that, you're headed on the road to destruction. And God's best to you is his son. What will you do with him? Other of you, perhaps even believers, are you fulfilling God's purpose for your life? Have you lost purpose, maybe? Because you're living for things, living for this world, and not living in the will of God and for the glory of God. Why don't you make a choice? I'm going to spend the rest of my days living for him I hope to spend eternity with. I want to be concerned about his people, about his cause. Oh, you give all your money to United Way this year, and they do many wonderful things. But why don't you be identified with the suffering church of God throughout the world? God's people are called to suffer all over this globe. Would you be identified? Would you help? Thank you, dear people who took on these families to show the love of God. We're not just doing this to buy gifts. We're not trying to earn our way to heaven. That's for, We're trying to show these people God loves them. And the way God loves people is he loves them through us, through the body of Christ. You've got a choice to make, to walk by faith in the invisible, powerful God of our Lord Jesus Christ, or to live for the tangible, passing things of this world. Let us stand. Let us sing. Stand with me.